Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 9 of Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to be reading from verse 10, which says, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, here God is indicating that um, those that have been redeemed, as the previous verse explains, those that have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ are made unto God kings and priests. In a spiritual sense, and in a spiritual manner, we become in God's sight. And he, of course, is spirit and his kingdom uh, is a spiritual kingdom, and and therefore, uh, although we become spiritual uh, kings and priests while we're living in this world, and perhaps that uh, is of no significance to the world. Actually, we know that it is definitely of no significance to the many people of the world. They they don't recognize the child of God's status. As a spiritual king or priest, it means nothing to them. They do not um, hold it in high esteem at all. As a matter of fact, the believer is uh, relatively looked down upon and and becomes someone who is considered to be lowly uh, due to their profession and their belief in the Bible and and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and and so the world doesn't recognize God's kingdom. It it does not think highly of it uh, at all. But the true believer ought to, because we know there is a kingdom. We can see it with eyes of faith. We know the Bible is true. We know God's word is faithful. We know everything he tells us about things to come will come to pass, and therefore it is not a light thing at all for us to hear from the mouth of God, from the Lord himself, that he has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This is a really an enormous statement that is revealing to us the grand and glorious eternal future that awaits the child of God. But let's uh, let's um, look into the Bible to see exactly what God means that he has made us kings and priests. And let's start with kings. Uh, uh, when we turn to Psalm 144, we find... Uh, God making an identification, something else. In Psalm 144.10, It is he that giveth salvation unto kings, who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. Now here, the statement is made, God gives salvation unto kings. Is it true then that every king receives salvation? The, the king of Babylon or the king of Egypt, the kings that reign over the nations of the world? No, no. Actually, it is very rare. It, it is very out of the ordinary that 
an earthly king of a nation becomes a child of God. We know that David, who is mentioned here, was a true believer, and he did reign as a king. We know there were a handful of other kings of Judah that were true believers, like Hezekiah or Josiah. And uh, yet, for the most part, the kings we read about in the Bible and and the kings that perhaps we've heard of in history outside of the Bible, they were not children of God. They were not saved individuals. And, and, and so God here actually is making the connection between salvation, which makes someone a king in his sight. God is the king maker. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the one that selects certain individuals, sinners, to become saved. And once they do become saved, then he uh, considers them royalty. He considers them to be part of his family, and he is the great king. And therefore, they become kings in his sight. We see this kind of language also in Revelation chapter 1. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, once again, First, we we read of being washed uh, from our sin in his blood. And the next statement tells us we have been made kings and priests unto God. The two go together. Once God saves a sinner, at, at that point, once the blood of Christ has been applied and they have been redeemed, they they have been bought, they enter into the family of God, as a son of God, and are heirs, joint heirs with Christ, and they reign with him. This is why the Bible speaks of being lifted up into heavenly places to be seated in Christ Jesus, to be seated is language of ruling. In the Bible, whenever a king is seated upon a throne, it has to do with his dominion, with uh, ruling over his kingdom. And, well, okay, well, we see here again in Revelation 1-6 that um, Christ has made us kings and priests unto God, and we understand we're spiritual kings. And uh, this is helpful when we're reading the Bible and we see reference to kings in some places. But not only kings, but God also says that we are made priests. Now, let's um, also turn to a psalm which will give us the spiritual definition of a priest. In Psalm 132, we read there, beginning in verse 9, Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. And then a little further down, in verse 16, I will also clothe her priest with salvation, and her saints 
shall shout aloud for joy. Now here, the definition, the spiritual definition is given. And this is what we look for uh, often times in the Bible when we're doing a search on a word or a, a verse. We're looking for another verse as we compare scripture with scripture that will explain the verse that's in front of us that will define a term for us. And here, the idea of a priest, a spiritual priest, is defined. I will also clothe her priest with salvation. And this means that once a person becomes saved, when God was saving individuals throughout the, the day of salvation period, when any individual became saved as God acted upon them and blessed his word to their heart and created within them a new heart and a new spirit. Immediately at that point of salvation, they were clothed with their priestly garments because their salvation is their priestly garment. Their their garment is righteousness, as it said earlier in Psalm 132, 9. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness. And that relates to what we read in Revelation 19, in verse 8. And to her, this is speaking of the bride of Christ, which is comprised of all the elect. So this has application to everyone that God saved, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. The fine linen is the righteousness of saints, and that righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. That is our covering, that is our clothing, that is our priestly garment, that is our salvation that equips us and qualifies us to be a priest in the sight of God. And uh, this applies to male, female, uh, to uh, old and young, to everyone. Every child of God is upon salvation once God has saved them, now qualified and called upon to be a priest, a a spiritual priest, and is made a priest in the sight of God. Now, there's something interesting in um, Ezekiel chapter 44 concerning the clothing that priests were to wear. We read in Ezekiel 44, um, beginning in verse 17, it says, And it shall come to pass that when they enter in at the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments. This is referring to the priests that go about the ministry. And no wool shall come upon them. Now remember, we read in Revelation 19.8 that the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And Psalm 132 told us the priests are clothed with righteousness. So we're clothed with fine linen, which is the righteousness of saints. And no wool shall come upon them, whiles they minister in the gates of the inner court and within. They shall have linen bonnets upon their heads, 
and shall have linen breeches upon their loins. They shall not gird themselves with anything that causeth sweat. And what an amazing thing the Bible is. And what an incredible author God is to uh, to write in such a way that all of these little details, these seemingly insignificant statements that we could just gloss over, that uh, how God ties them all perfectly together and brings everything into harmony. Why would he uh, he command that the priests who go about the ministry are to wear linen? Well, we understand that's related to righteousness of Christ and salvation. And why would he command that no wool would be upon them while they go about their ministering? Well, because wool is a heavier material. And and God says they shall not gird themselves with anything that causeth sweat. Well, why is God concerned if they sweat or not? while they go about their priestly duties? The answer is that the Bible connects sweating with work, even though this is a different word than in Genesis, when God pronounced the curse upon mankind and and told him that by the sweat of his brow he will uh, he will have to till the earth, that is to work in order to live, that Even though it's a different word, it's the same idea that we, God's people, who are made priests, are not to sweat. We are not to work concerning our priestly duties. We're to do no work of any kind to um, obtain the priesthood, to continue in the priesthood. We're, We're to... Just realize and understand that it's all by the grace of God. It's all the work of Christ and not our work. And this is also why when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that the Bible says that the great drops of blood as sweat fell from him because he was demonstrating the work that he had done from the foundation of the world. The Lord Jesus, as the great high priest of his people, offered up himself for their sins, and he did the work in paying for the sins of all the elect that were laid in upon him. He did the work of being the Lamb of God that was sacrificed and of being the high priest that sacrificed that Lamb. And only he, God is very jealous of this truth, only he is permitted to sweat. And and we're not. We're uh, to realize we can do nothing. We've uh, never been able to do anything as far as working to obtain salvation or to continue in salvation. It's all by the grace of God. Well, Uh, Let's uh, go to Revelation chapter 20 as we continue to look at the word priest and how it is related to God's elect. And we read in Revelation 20 verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. The first resurrection 
is the resurrection of the soul. God has a two-part, two-stage resurrection plan. First, he saves the sinner's soul. Then, at the end, he saves the sinner's body with the resurrection of the dead. And so, when the Bible says, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection, it's really saying, Blessed and holy is he that has become saved. And then it goes on to say, On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now again, they shall be priests. Who's a priest? Everyone that has experienced the first resurrection, and that is everyone that is saved. Without exception, everyone is considered a priest by God. And also, notice again, they shall reign with him a thousand years. And who reigns but a king? So here, once again, God is bringing the two offices together, the priesthood and that of reigning as a king. And uh, when when this verse says that they will reign with him, the Lord Jesus, a thousand years, the thousand years has in view the completeness of eternity. That is how long all of the elect will reign with Christ, and that is how long we will be of the royal family of God forevermore. There is no end to this wonderful blessing of God that he has made us of um, his... his um, uh, royal family. Well, let's go to one one other place uh, concerning this priesthood in First Peter, and then we're going to see something interesting in First Peter chapter two, and in beginning in verse four, and I'll also read verse five: "To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious." Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And here God is speaking again of the chosen, the elect. And he says, first of all, you're like a living stone. And whenever someone would become saved, they are, it was as though God was building his house for his eternal habitation that he will dwell in, uh, into eternity future. And, and now, of course, we're living at the time when that house of God is complete and God has entered into every one that, uh, of the elect whose names were in his book. And therefore he he has filled the house. His glory has entered in. But right now, we're more interested in the next uh, part of this verse. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Okay, now God is once again calling true believers priests. We are a holy priesthood. But here he tells us something additional. 
he tells us that we have a task to perform of offering up spiritual sacrifices. Now, when we search the Bible to try and discover what this is, we find that there can be a few things in view. One is is prayer for others. Uh, one is if we are using our resources, our time, and our finances, we can we can also consider this as part of a spiritual sacrifice. But there is one thing in particular that uh, really stands out and would uh, include these other things I just mentioned and anything else. And that is that we as believers are to offer up as a spiritual sacrifice our self, our self. Just as Jesus was the great high priest who offered up himself for the sake of his people, God commands us to offer up ourself. Actually, he tells us to do this on a daily basis. Remember, take up your cross, we're told, and follow me. And when Jesus took up his cross, well, he was demonstrating that he was the sacrificial lamb of God. He was demonstrating his sacrifice of his very life. And he commands us to take up our crosses. In one of the gospel accounts, we're told to do it daily. Take up your cross. Sacrifice yourself. Uh, We read this stated directly in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 12... God says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now here, first of all, God lets us know that that if you are able to do this to any degree... If you do follow through and, and you begin to live, uh, a sacrificial life, if you, if you truly are able, say today or tomorrow, to, uh, submit yourself to the will of God, if you're able to uh, turn away from sin and, and to keep God's commandments, if you're able to deny yourself, and take up your cross in that way spiritually. No one would see you do any of this. It, it's all in the spiritual realm. Then you can only uh, do it by the mercies of God. That is, it's an evidence that God has saved you, that he has already worked out that salvation within you and granted you salvation. And, and when he did so, remember... The Psalms told us that you are clothed with salvation and therefore that is your priestly garment. Now you are equipped. You have the fine linen, no wool. You have the fine linen, which is the righteousness of saints, which is the, the garment of a priest. And now you may go about your priestly duties. And what is your priestly duty? 
it is to sacrifice your very self. Yourself. Just as Jesus sacrificed himself. It is to sacrifice ourself. We, we start with us. And, and God says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice to keep our body under, to bring it into submission, to mortify our members which are upon the earth, to, to turn from the things that have so easily beset us and, and to follow the word of God. Now God gives us the wonderful and perfect example of Christ in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 1 where he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So here God is really showing us that the way in which we are to go. He, he is telling us of our priestly duty to offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice, and this can only be done to whatever degree it is done, by the moving of God's Spirit within us and His, uh, as He tells us, moving within us to will and do of His good pleasure. All right, back in Revelation 5.10, it says again, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, the phrase kings of the earth is found several times in the book of Revelation, and it has this in, in mind when it's talking of true believers, that God has made us a king, and he has made us to reign. But remember, as we read in Revelation 20, we shall reign with Christ a thousand years. That is the completeness of eternity. And we are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus when we become a child of God. That's why we're kings and why we'll reign. But the earth that we reign over is not this earth. It is the new earth which God will create at the end of the world once he destroys this present sin-cursed earth. He will create a new heaven and a new earth, and God's people, uh, which uh, could number as many as 200 million, will all be kings and priests. They will all reign over the earth forevermore. They will all reign with Christ, with God, and it will be an everlasting reign that we will enjoy. It, it is a, a wonderful thing. 
Now, the book of Revelation refers to kings of the earth in some places where the context clearly indicates that uh, it, it is unsaved individuals who identify with God through the churches and congregations. They profess to be believers, and therefore they uh, also are considered kings of the earth. But tragically, since they're not true children of God, not true believers, they are only kings of this earth. They are not kings of the new earth. And that's the the difference. That's the distinction and and how we can uh, tell these references apart. Uh, we first look at the context to see who is in view, a true believer or the unsaved. And then that reveals which earth they are likened to be kings over. 